Hi, this is Jeannie Patel-Thompson from ListenToYourGut.com, and today I'm talking with Dr. Wendy Ellis all about food allergies and food allergy testing. So Dr. Wendy Ellis is a naturopathic doctor. She also has a degree in medical biology. She has apprenticed and continues to work with um, the famous medical doctor, Jonathan V. Wright. She's now the focal doctor for Dr. Wright's well-known bioidentical hormone therapy for women program, and she sees a whole range of conditions from mineral deficiency to thyroid imbalance, MS, chronic fatigue, detox allergies, etc. So, Wendy, thank you so much for being on the call today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And so what we're going to do, just so everybody knows, um, Wendy and I are going through a discussion that's based on my actual um, blood allergy testing results. And so those are available for you as a PDF download so you can follow along. And when we're talking about different substances and my blood reactions, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. So if you haven't downloaded that, grab it now. Um, so, Wendy, let's start by, um, can you explain this, the E95 Common Food Panel blood work that I had done by Meridian Valley Lab? What is that testing for and what is the purpose of, of this food allergy blood test? Yeah, so there are many different allergy tests out there. Um, I think that many different people think that their allergy the test is the best, but honestly, you know, the best clinical test of all is elimination and reintroduction. A lot of people have a really hard time doing that, and we need some guidelines. And so what the E95 allergy panel is, is it's looking at um, immunoglobin reactions. And this one from Meridian Valley Lab is a combination of IgG4 and IgE antibodies and or immunoglobins. And if you um, went to your allergist and you said, I want to be tested for allergies, that would be an IgE test, which would be a scratch test on your skin, which is really more intended for um, acute Allergies. For example, if I ate peanuts and my throat swelled, then I would have more of a skin reaction to that versus a lot of the foods that create chronic health issues with patients, whether it be stomach pains or hives or diverticulitis or Crohn's, colitis, more chronic inflammatory conditions tend to be mediated by the IgG antibody panel, which is more of a delayed reaction. Um, and, you know, there... Here we're looking at a combination of IgG4 and IgE, and you know when speaking to Meridian Valley Lab about that, about 10% is an IgE reaction. And one of the biggest arguments with food allergy testing is, are the things that I'm eating the most of going to react and going to respond? And I would say that sometimes that's the case, but sometimes it's not. And so as much as we try to have a true science behind this, there definitely see, there has to be some level of interpretation and some level of trial and error based on the results that we see. Right. And so let me go into the, the science of it just briefly. Um, how, do you know, has anyone ever tested a completely healthy person? And by that I mean someone who's, you know, if you go for your normal physical workup, everything looks great, all your blood levels are great, and no sign of... Um, not just disease and illness, but no sign of fatigue or um, or any reactions to any foods eaten. Has anyone taken a person like that and given them this allergy test? You know, it's very, 
you know, I wish that I could say that there is a completely healthy person out there, but I don't know if that's the case. We all have a little bit of something. Um, and so oftentimes I'll test people who have no digestive symptoms at all, and they'll have certain foods react. And so, you know, I, I know that people come in they're, and they're just interested. They've had a family member test positive. They have no symptoms, and they're often surprised with what, with what comes back as positive. So I would say that even a very healthy person very likely has some intolerance to things. It's just a matter of how often you eat them. Yeah, so I think and if so you eat them more often, you're going to tend to develop a reaction or a symptom to that, or the symptom's so chronic that you haven't, you know, you eat it and you don't get an immediate result. That's why elimination and reintroduction is good, because your body does tend to have a more immediate symptom when you've introduced it again. And so let's say if we look at my food results, let's take eggs. Egg white and egg yolk are just right off the charts, <clears throat> excuse me, for me. So if I were to not eat them for a period of, you know, three weeks and then eat an egg, what what if I had still no reaction whatsoever to eating that egg? So then I recommend rotating eggs in and not eating them every day as a staple, but eating them, you know, rotation diets generally say you can eat it every four days. Okay. And one of the biggest things is that eggs are in the top ten allergy list. It's one of the most common allergens. And there's a lot of people who believe that we are reactive to eggs because a lot of our vaccines that we get when we're infants are cultured in egg white. Oh, and so very frequently that. you'll see the egg white elevated, but the egg yolk as low. And so I'll say this is likely vaccinations. Um, and so, you know, don't, don't worry about eating it if you're not symptomatic, but at least I recommend taking it out for usually two to three weeks and then reintroducing it. But every time I do a food introduction, I usually have them wait three days in between a new introduction because it could be 48 hours before you develop a symptom to that food. And the symptom could be, you know, a lot of the old naturopathic um, literature says check your pulse. If you have a greater than 50% increase in your pulse within half an hour of eating something, then that's a sign of allergy. Some people get immediate GI distress. They'll get a stomach ache. They'll get a lot of gas. I'd say probably the most common sign of um, in, inflammatory issues is joint pain, especially as we age. A lot of people say, wow, you know, my joints were creaky. If I eliminated the foods, then my joints don't hurt. It doesn't hurt to open a jar. Mm, interesting. And, you know, one of the doctors that I work with, um, she sees a lot of autoimmune cases, you know, she and I have had this egg discussion before, and everyone has an opinion. Um, and she said, you know, I really encourage them to avoid eating eggs regularly, but if there's an egg baked into something and they're getting just that portion of an egg every day that might be in their gluten-free bread, then I'm not concerned about that because it doesn't seem to be as inflammatory. Right. And so here's another question. Um, has anyone been tested over a period of days or weeks like because this to me is like a snapshot this is what my blood is doing on this you know this particular day with the circumstances that are happening and etc cetera, etc cetera. if you were to test me you know a week later two weeks later would the results be the same has anyone done that kind of cross testing yeah i have tested the same people not that quickly after the initial test 
Mm-hmm. But some people will say, okay, I did the food allergy elimination. I haven't been eating those things. I'm feeling great. Can we retest me? Okay. And usually I don't retest because if you eliminate those foods, then you're not going to create the antibodies, so you're not going to test positive again. But we also have some people who have said, well, I, I haven't eaten pineapple in 10 years, but it's reacting as really high. And so I think it's a measure of how active your immune system is and how long do those antibodies circulate? A lot of people who have uh, gluten intolerance or celiac disease, they say every time you get an exposure to, you know, greater than 20 parts per billion is usually the, the amount that I've heard, um, those antibodies can circulate from anywhere from eight weeks up to two years after you've eliminated that food. Sometimes I have people who I'm certain they're going to respond to a ton of different foods and everything is very suppressed. And, you know, that that being said is that if you have a low secretory IgA in the GI tract from a suppressed immune system, perhaps you can't create the antibodies to even react on the test. Or if you're on corticosteroids or a biologic medication that might influence your immunity by suppressing it, that can also influence the results. So what is it in the body that, or the blood that is making, you know, the body say, oh, this food, like, it sounds to me like they're basically perceiving the food as a pathogen. Exactly. And, you know, and then we get into sort of the intestinal permeability issue with, you know, do I have leaky gut or not? And oftentimes sort of the, the very basic answer would be, If you have leaky gut syndrome and you have food proteins that are are interacting with the bloodstream before they go into through the cell and broken down into amino acids or vitamins or minerals, then your body's reacting to that food because there's intestinal permeability. So is it a food intolerance or is it an intestinal permeability issue? I mean, that's the biggest question. So you've had, you know, I heard uh, one doctor in Colorado, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, but she was giving a lecture on treating um, irritable bowel syndrome and saying she doesn't do food allergy testing because she really focuses on treating the lining of the GI tract and replacing and restoring the, the proper intestinal bacteria. However, you know, my question was, well, if you know this food is inflammatory, wouldn't you want to remove any inflammatory factors while you're trying to heal the GI tract and then introduce those things. Right. Did she have an um, another thing is that, you know, one of one of the biggest I would say one of the complaints about just doing IgG4 testing and IgE is that that's not as helpful. So Aristo Vajdani, who is the medical director for Cyrex Laboratories, I mean, here you have someone who's taking it one step further. He's an immunologist, he's a PhD, and he spent, you know, his life work basically. He used to own immunoscience laboratories. It might have made a resurgence actually. And he's basically looking at the associations between food intolerance, but he's looking at total IgG and IgA antibodies as they're influencing inflammatory factors that might influence autoimmune disease. And so I'm I'm definitely using a combination of those things. I'm using the IgE panel as an initial start, but if I have someone who, like yourself, has been off gluten for three years and they're introducing a lot of other gluten-free grains, like you're reacting to the buckwheat and the quinoa, 
then Cyrex has actually a different panel which looks at cross-reactive foods, which may actually act like gluten, even though it's not gluten, and it's a gluten-free food. And so I'm definitely using that. That's Cyrex array number four. Um, and, and that's a hot topic, too, because a lot of gluten-free foods contain a lot of other things like, you know, oats or tapioca or, you know, soy or corn or rice. And what if we're reactive to those? And yeah, so that's that. sort of my second-tier approach to doing allergy testing after the E95. Right. Okay. And again, and it's different immunoglobins. And that so scientist, his name was Aristo, what was his last name? Uh, Vajdani, V-O-J-D-A-N-I. Okay. I think that immunoscience labs, I think that's the lab that used to be the only place you could test for mycobacteria, avium paratuberculosis. It's ringing a bell. They may have been. I used them much earlier. So uh, our Cyrex Labs does a 21 tissue antibody test, and this is for someone who seemingly has an autoimmune picture, but you can test for these 21 different antibodies against various tissues in the body before you develop an autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. So back back early in the early 2000s, I was ordering a lot of... Um, anti-ovarian and anti-testicular antibodies for younger people who are going into premature ovarian failure or having very low levels of testosterone in their 20s and 30s. So right. they, he's been well ahead of the curve for a long time. Interesting. Okay, that's a good place to go do some more research if someone has a complicated picture going on. Oh, exactly, exactly. And, and for so you, now, you know, your buckwheat and your quinoa were pretty high. Were you eating a lot of those things? No, that's the thing. I mean, there was a point a um, couple years ago where I was eating a fair amount of quinoa. You know, I basically used it in place of rice or, you know, right, whatever right. I would have that. And buckwheat, no, but it. I again, I think it's mixed in, like, because now that I'm avoiding it, and I'm looking at all the gluten-free things, and almost all of them add in buckwheat and quinoa. Oh, so interesting. Even though I wasn't consuming buckwheat and quinoa, I was I was getting it continually in packaged, you know, like um, you know, a gluten-free substitute product or a cereal or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the other thing too is that going back to the original hypothesis that people shouldn't have food intolerance they're probably having an intestinal permeability issue. That's another, um, and, and it's hard to measure that, but again, Cyrex Laboratories, who's doing a lot of research into the GI, um, they actually do an intestinal barrier health assessment, and it's got seven different immunoglobin reactions, so it's a much better way to test whether there's an intestinal barrier issue or whether it is a true intolerance to a food. Right. And then one quick question, way down at the bottom of my test results, it says rice protein med food. What is that? Is that a like a rice so protein powder? That has since been removed from the test, and a lot of people are doing um, protein powder, medical foods like Thorn MediClear Plus. Yeah. But the problem with that is that you're measuring how many different ingredients and how do you know which thing that they're reacting to. Exactly, because to rice, I have almost no reaction whatsoever. Exactly, exactly. So I'm obviously not 
I would guess I'm not reacting to the rice protein in there. I would be reacting to something else. Exactly, okay. exactly. And, you know, there's there's uh, a couple, the Jaminet, J-A-M-I-N-E-T, um, Paul, and I forget her name, um, and he's a PhD, and I want to say she is too, and they, they're they very smart people. I think they're both Harvard graduates, and um, they have done a sort of protocol called the Perfect Health Diet, which uh-huh. there's all these anti-inflammatory diets out there, but yeah. what they found in their research that the sort of biggest triggers for inflammatory reactions in the body for them tend to be corn and gluten. And so their diet does allow potatoes, it does allow rice, it does allow tapioca and potato starch and brown rice. And so, you know, they're really focusing on the corn. I think a lot of people are focusing on corn these days. Corn isn't really good for us. No. Um, but what's interesting is that, you know, potatoes are a nightshade, and we know that some of the gluten-free grains are nightshades, and nightshades can be very inflammatory. And so it tends to be more inflammatory to people who have joint problems like rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, because that was the other thing that struck me about these, these my food allergy results in that, you know, because I immediately went and thought, well, what about the autoimmune diets and the anti-inflammatory diets and the FODMAP diet? And so, and all of the things that they're saying, oh, you have to remove for that. Okay, I'm showing fine on my chart. <laughs> but then other things that um, appeared, I appear to have no response to, I'm, you know, I need to, you know, definitely avoid. And it was, it was just very interesting to me saying, well, there's so many schools of thought on this and so many pieces to put together. It's right. hard to know, like, well, how would you actually take action? And I keep going back to what you said at the beginning, the best is the elimination and reintroduction. Exactly. And anything that you are showing a high response to, you don't want to eat that food every day. Yes, right, right. To so, you know, and... The other thing, too, is one of the biggest complaints I've had on this E95 allergy panel is that so many people who are gluten intolerant heavily react to green bean and kidney bean. And I've had many people over the years eliminate them and reintroduce them, and I would say maybe a half a percent of the time has anyone ever reacted to one of those two things. So I wonder about, you know, do those, are those somehow the proteins are similar enough that they're cross-reacting with gluten? So, you know, I haven't had issues with those, and so, but some people say, wow, well, you're having me eliminate gluten, but then the green bean's really high. Why aren't you having me eliminate that? And it's just over the course of time doing this test, you definitely develop a different set of eyes when you look at it and things that you've tried and things that you've removed and things that you haven't to determine what's going to be the problem for that person. So you can't just look at this result with a black and white perspective. Right. But you can see that you're reacting pretty significantly to legumes, mm-hmm. which, you know, honestly, on this test, I rarely see people react to lima bean and pea and soy. Yeah. And so, you know, it's you probably do have a problem with legumes. And does that have any other meaning to you beyond that? Like, does it, is it suggestive of anything else? Um... Not off the bat, no. I mean, I I can say that, you know, over the course of clinical practice, 
you know, you do hear people say that they are highly reactive to legumes, and you were reactive to peanut, too, which is a legume. And so the goal would be to, again, eliminate all of them and then reintroduce them and see how you do. Right. But the problem is that many vegetarians are really, you know, they put a lot of stock in legumes because it's their protein source. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, that's when I start looking at, you know, back at Cyrex and say, okay, let's eliminate these things for a while if you're still symptomatic or, you know, you do have an autoimmune disease and you want to cover all your bases, it may be good to get the IgG, the total IgG and the IgA antibodies from another test so we can cross-compare, knowing that no test is 100% perfect. In what would you say is the accuracy of this one? You know, over the course of, you know, I started practicing with Jonathan Wright in 2005, so I've been ordering this test since then, and there hasn't been a whole lot of change to the test. Some foods have come and gone from the test. But, you know, I ordered one of these tests today, um, and I order them quite frequently, because I'd say at least 80% of the time that when I get the test and I eliminate the foods that are positive, I'd say 80% of the time I can find resolution for the reason that I've ordered the test in the first place, whether it be hives or whether it be chronic constipation or diarrhea or, you know, Crohn's or colitis cases. So I would say it's it gives me the information I need 80% of the time, and the other 20% of the time I'm doing it because I either have someone who does have Crohn's or colitis or they do have an, another autoimmune condition, and I want to be certain that we're doing everything I can because if you look at autoimmunity in general, food intolerance is one of five really important things that need to be considered when it comes to treating an autoimmune disease comprehensively. Mm-hmm. So, and we know that, you know, our immune systems are primarily in the GI tract. And so, really, the most important organ to have healthy in our entire bodies is our GI tract. Exactly. Well, and this might be the time to let people know that the reason that we ordered this test was um, I have had a chronic lung mucus problem which is, it's not a lot of mucus, it's only if I lay down on a hard surface, um, then I'll cough until I cough up a bit of mucus. And then off and on, um, it just seems to have, stress is definitely a trigger, and then I'll have some coughing and I will bring up some mucus. And so, and I did have a bout of pneumonia uh, eight years ago, so that could have a thing. And then um, you know, basically you and I were going through things and you said, well, let's do a food allergy test because what if there's something going on that's, you know, um, triggering you on an ongoing basis and, you know, that's a part of the the chest mucus issue. Exactly. So um, here's the interesting thing for me. So I've been avoiding everything for, I got these results about two weeks ago. So I've avoided everything on here that is, um, even moderate to hot to the avoid list. And it's going to be very, and, and here's the, the, here's the, so I, I'm going to go into this at a couple of deeper levels, but, so let's start with this. Let's look at my dairy <laughs> panel, right? I'm low on all dairy. This looks like I could eat dairy with no issues. And so I went, okay, well maybe that's been a mental construct. So I have these test results in front of me. I'm yeah. going to go and have, some milk no 
instant mucus. And it lasted for almost the entire day. I had stomach bloating, um, and which then turned into a bit of gas. So I was like, okay, so that's my first question to you. How is it that my blood is saying, oh, no, this is perfectly fine, but my gut and the mucus production reactions are showing that this is not fine? Well, again, we're looking at IgG, IgG4 antibodies, and IgE antibodies. So the question to the question that I would ask would be, if I was to test IgG, the total IgG, and the IgA antibodies, would you test positive for that? Because obviously you're reacting, but it may not be down the IgG4 and the IgE antibody pathway. And but I will tell you that it is surprising that since you're so symptomatic that it didn't show up on this test, because you know, unless you had been eliminating dairy for quite a period of time before you did the test results. Yes, I had, I had, and I've always kept dairy low anyway. So that would be the second answer, probably the first answer, really, that right. you're not making antibodies against it because you're not eating it. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Oh, I see. Oh, so now we're getting it. So that's a really interesting point if we, in terms of test interpretation, because let's say I had gone off eggs for a while and then had this test and then didn't show a reaction to eggs and then thought, oh, I'm fine to eat eggs all the time. Right, exactly. And, you know, I posed this question to Cyrex Laboratories. So one of their doctors, Thomas Alexander, he's an MD. He lectures a lot with Aristo Vajdani, very smart guy, fellow in endocrinology. And, you know, I asked Dr. Alexander this, oh, probably two months ago. And I said, if someone's been off the food, how much do they have to eat of that food before they do the test to make sure that we're able to catch a good result? Right. And basically he said that they recommend eating one spoonful of that particular food every day for four weeks and then waiting seven days before you do the test. Hmm. And because are they saying at least one spoonful? At at least one spoonful. And then have nothing for seven days and then do the test? You know, he said you can either stop eating it or keep eating it, but at the very least you have to, you know, technically eat it for a month every day before you do the test. Okay. So if someone's really symptomatic to eating it, you want to encourage them to just have a little bit of it, and then if you're really symptomatic and you want to stop eating it, you want to do the test seven days after you discontinue and not longer than that. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. Because right now I'm kind of going into, okay, and I would I would understand if you had a patient who, like you said, had an autoimmune disease and was in a really bad state, then it would seem to me to be worth walking this pathway of testing, but right. for somebody, you know, who's not that, this seems to me to be really not meaningful because there's so many variables and there's so much testing and cross-testing that would need to be done. And then, and I go, so for someone who's not in an extreme health position, from my point standpoint, the, to do an elimination and reintroduction just seems so much easier. Well, a lot of people do not have the tenacity to do that. 
And uh, so they want to do the test to at least know which things to eliminate and reintroduce. Right. So there's so many people, and I'd say it's more common than not, far more common than not, that someone's like, just do the test so I can know which foods I need to avoid and reintroduce. Right. And then let's say someone was doing a complete um, food elimination. What is what is the procedure for that that you recommend? You know, probably the top ten allergens um, are cow's milk, so cow's milk product, which would include yogurt and anything made from a cow, cow's yeah. milk, not including steak, of course, just anything made from cow's milk. So cow's milk, eggs, citrus, soy, gluten, uh, peanuts. I'd say almonds are definitely hitting one of the top ten allergy lists. Sugar, people are developing a lot of sensitivity to sugar. Um, so let's Corn. see that. Eight. Let me just see what else is on that list. Corn, right? Corn, yes, corn. And did I say soy? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say those are the top, the top foods. I mean, J.J. Virgin wrote The Virgin Diet, and she's a Ph.D. I want to say she's a, she's a certified nutritionist and a personal trainer. And yeah. she basically had all these women who were eating very little, they were exercising a lot, and they were not losing weight. So her whole thing is seven foods, seven pounds, seven days, meaning that if people eliminated the top, in her mind, seven foods, which hers are corn, gluten, eggs, soy, dairy, sugar, and peanuts, that if you avoid those things for seven days, you reduce the inflammation and drop a lot of weight because you're reducing you know, fluid retention. So there's a lot to be said for people who want to know what foods, and so they just choose the top seven, eliminate those, and then they can reintroduce them. Right. And but, then, you know, to take it into a more complicated place, Cyrex Labs is, you know, working on asking the question, you know, what about cooking food versus eating raw food? You know, as we cook it, we denature proteins. And, you know, you, you talk to a lot of Crohn's and colitis patients, can they eat salad? No. I mean, they have a really hard time with salad. Yeah. And so, you know, how much does cooking the food influence our body's ability to react to it or respond to it in a negative way? You know, the other question I had was um, for the animal proteins that they're testing for, uh, I wonder if there would be any difference for the eggs, for example, if they were using a factory farmed egg versus an organic free-range egg. I think absolutely. And this is, you know, my husband, for example, has never been able to eat eggs, but when we got chickens, he's able to, I mean, he can eat, instead of eating two poached eggs, he can eat one, but if he eats one poached egg instead of two, he can tolerate it without any issues whatsoever. The other thing is he was highly lactose intolerant for probably 10 years, two sinus surgeries, a year of antibiotics, and so he couldn't tolerate any dairy whatsoever, not even butter. But when he eliminated gluten, and he probably eliminates it 90% of the time, now he can eat, you know, butter. I mean, he can occasionally eat mozzarella on a gluten-free pizza crust. 
no problem whatsoever. And it used to be gut-wrenching pain, like someone just kicked him in the gut. So I think that the elimination and reintroduction, or whether it's that we're getting, you know, farm-raised, you know, cheese at a farmer's market, I think that does make a difference. It's like eating a steak that's been, uh, you know, a cow that's been fed corn its entire life. That meat is full of arachidonic acid. It's very inflammatory to our cardiovascular system. Mm -hmm. But if you have a grass-fed cow that hasn't been fed antibiotics, who's had a healthy lifestyle in a non-stressed environment, they're grazing in a pasture on Camino Island, that cow is full of omega-3 fatty acids and is very anti-inflammatory to our system. So what we feed the animal that's producing the product is hugely affecting our body's reaction to it. Absolutely. And so that's my question. Like when they're testing in the lab, because I don't know what the test involves. I'm assuming it involves taking a piece of egg white, maybe in a reduced form, and, and introducing it to my blood and seeing what the reaction is. Is that what they're doing, or is they, are they just test? Like, what? how do they actually determine? Well, it's one SST tube, and, you know, what I think they're doing is they're, and, and this, you know, I may have to clarify this later, but my understanding is that they're measuring the blood antibodies against those particular foods. They're not testing against a diff- against different foods. I see. I see what you're saying. But it's there are other labs that do have other methods of testing, you know, where I think they do introduce your serum. But, you know, at the same time, you can't take someone's serum that you've had it one period of time and then reintroduce it. You'd have to do it, like, in the body, I would imagine, to have the body react with an immunoglobin antibody response and then measure it after that. Right. Okay. And testing things like the pulse after eating something. You're getting an immediate physiologic response. Yeah, exactly. Um, And when I give people, when people purchase the IBD remission diet book, I give them um, a separate ebook all about pulse diagnosis and how to do that. Yes. Um, but unfortunately, it's still a very gray area because we yeah. all have different immune systems and we can't measure every single antibody response because, you know, there are so many different ways that we react. Exactly. So we and use the tools that work best for us clinically knowing that they're not perfect. Yeah, exactly. And to go and And that's, I think, the really frustrating thing about this whole process is is that everything is yes but <laughs> you know and yes but and i no will say but. that is that <laughs> you have a clinical symptom and so your way of determining what's working is to watch that clinical symptom right exactly and then so when you say the best is the elimination and reintroduction so let's say with the eggs for example for me cuz that's a really high one how long would I eliminate eggs for? You know, everyone's got a different answer for that. Um, And, you know, oftentimes I have really good clinical response if I only have people remove it for two to three weeks. Okay. And then you reintroduce, what does the reintroduction look like? Um, You take one particular food and you introduce that and, you know, basically you watch for symptoms, whether it's acute GI symptoms or reading your pulse. And, you know, you eat that food. You can either 
start it, watch for a reaction, and not eat it again for the next two days. Or you can keep eating that food for three days, and then on the third day, you're reintroducing another food. Okay. But the so goal is to not introduce two new foods within three days of each other. Right. And would you introduce one serving or one spoonful, or how much are you eating during the reintroduction? You know, if someone's been highly reactive to it in the past, I recommend a small amount. But most people just say, okay, well, I'm going to introduce eggs. I'm going to have eggs for breakfast for the next three days, and if I'm fine with it, then on the fourth day I'm going to have eggs for breakfast. You know, but actually I'm going against what I just said. So it's probably best to do one serving a day for those three days, and then on the fourth day introduce the new one knowing that if you reacted to it in the first place, you shouldn't do it every day. But just for the elimin- for the reintroduction part, you might do it once a day. And okay. I would say one serving. For three days. For three days. And then if you have no reaction, no discernible reaction during that time, do you say, okay, well, that's an okay food, but because you had tested, you know, Reactive. You should only actually eat that food every four days ongoing. Exactly. Right. Okay. And then, um, and then in the meantime, you're just avoiding everything that you tested. Um, reactive. Or are you avoiding moderate to the avoid categories? And are you also avoiding those top? eight allergen foods even though you tested okay for them? No. Okay. Okay. And a lot of people say, oh, I really had a hard time with dairy as a kid, but I'm fine now. But, you know, usually if you've reacted as a kid, you still have that tendency. You just don't have acute symptoms. You very likely have a chronic symptom like arthritis. Right. And then what are the treatments for eliminating food allergies? That so you what like, treatments that do you, you do found? alongside that as far yeah. as improving intestinal integrity, things like that? Well, and also I've heard of people using, you know, homeopathics or some kind of um, yeah, you know, there is, diet and allergy there's, thing. There's a lot of people who do um, low-dose allergen treatments which is basically you create a little homeopathic drop and you, you know, it's almost like allergy shots. You're trying to train your body not to react to it anymore. Yeah. Or acupuncturists do NAET treatments. Um, And, you know, I think the biggest consideration in that is if you have a severe reaction to something and you're accidentally exposed to it and the reaction is really severe and you're a flight attendant or something, then it makes sense to do that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't remove the issue with what it does to your immune system if you have a chronic inflammatory condition. So even though you don't have that immediate symptom, it's still doing damage at a physiologic level. Oh, so in your, have you had a patient who's done, you know, the NAET or the homeopathic and then said, no, I'm fine with that, and then you've blood tested them and they've still shown reactive? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, and again, you know, we're all different practitioners, but my clinical experiences, you know, and my understanding of how the immune system works, if you know it's going to create an immune system reaction, even if you're not getting hives or something, it's it's best not to eat that food. 
Right. Okay. Very, very interesting. And now how about this? Because this is my this was my second thought. Um and has anybody ever done a test on this? Because I'm looking at going, okay, because when I look at my allergy results, the eggs and the almonds were the two highest off the charts yep. reactions for me. Well, way back, I mean, 23 years ago, when I did Elaine Gottschall's specific carbohydrate diet for a full year, and it was an emotionally tremendously stressful time for me because I spent every weekend cooking. It was it was like a kind of it was like food prison, you know, for me. It wasn't exactly. there was no freedom. It was so emotionally stressful. And these were two of the top foods in that diet. Everything was made with almond flour and because you could have no carbs and what and you know, you can't eat like red meat and chicken three times a day, you you eat the eggs. And so right. I think these two foods are linked in the mind-body schemata of myself to a time of intense stress and trauma. You know, there's so much that we don't understand about the human physiology that it's, you know, it's it's definitely probable. And so I wonder if, if I were to use a technique like Psyche or EFT, specifically on those foods and on any issues related like that year on the diet and then retest, it would be interesting to see if that alone could produce. And has anybody done that? Um, I, I'm, I can't think of anyone off the top of my mind. Okay. But since, since gut health is your life work, Mm-hmm. It may be interesting for you to do since these things. Let's see if actually almonds are not on the. Actually, um, almonds are not on the Cyrex panel, but quinoa is and buckwheat is. But yeah, almonds are not. But you know, Cyrex is constantly coming out with new panels, and they may actually be coming out with their own allergy test. You know what I think what else would be great for these allergy tests is for them to have, instead of you deciding what are the common foods, because there's a lot of stuff on here that I don't eat, and a right. lot of stuff that I do eat, like chia and coconut and cashew nuts, and we're not tested. Exactly, exactly. So, And you're right, I think it would be really great to be able to pay per antigen to yeah. say these are the things I'm interested in that I want tested. Yeah, and so, of course, you'd always do that that top ten allergen list, and then you'd go into okay, you know, because you have to track my regularly. diet, right? I completely agree. And then you could see, well, what am I normally eating? Throw those on there, and then ask me, okay, everything else that you're eating, make a list. Anything you've ever wondered about, make, and then make sure all of those items are on there, and right. then test that way. Um, have you suggested that to any of these labs? Um, it actually might be coming. Oh. That would be good. Yeah. And, okay. you know, all these things are, you know, people are going to be listening to this, so I can't say more than that, but it may be coming down the pipeline. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, we don't want to promise it that people are like, where is that thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. That's really very interesting information. And Yeah, that- and then, you know, the other thing is, how, you know, when we think about those intestinal microvilli, 
in the small intestine, one of the, one of the things that people can do is if you just look in the mirror and stick your tongue out and look at it nice and flat, are there the imprint of your teeth along the outside of your tongue? Because that could be one of two things. So hypothyroidism can definitely create that symptom. The other thing that creates that symptom, you know, can be food intolerance. And if you think about you have swelling in the tongue, then, you know, it's been, it's been said that you can have swelling of those microvilli or even blunting of those microvilli, decreasing the surface area, thus contributing to things like vitamin D deficiency and iron deficiency. Right, right, I've got you. Okay, and um, if anybody wants to visit Dr. Wendy Alice, you can reach her at Tahoma Clinic, NorthSeattle.com. So that's T-A-H-O-M as in mother, A Clinic, NorthSeattle.com. And Dr. Ellis does do Skype and phone consultations depending on your issues, so um, definitely contact her. And Wendy, thank you so much for giving us all this incredible information about food allergies and food allergy testing. Yeah, it may have made things a little more uh, challenging, but at the same time, it's the truth is that there's no perfect test, but elimination diet is probably your best bet, and allergy testing gives you a guide on where to start with that, because it's hard to just eat, you know, lamb, rice, and broccoli. Forever. <laughs> Forever, exactly. Okay, thanks, Wendy. Yes. Yeah.